Welcome to the Hunt Back Country podcast. This is episode number 405. And today we're kind of taking a deep dive on sleeping pads. Pretty simple gear for sure, but there's a lot that you can overlook or misunderstand about how to select a sleeping pad, even how to use one, as funny as that may sound. Today we're talking with Brandon from Thermarest all about inflatable sleeping pads or air mattresses for backpack style hunting. This is a great conversation. I've been using Thermarest pads in general, but you know I've used a ton of different brands, Big Agnes and Nemo and all kinds of sleeping pads for many, many years, but I still learned from this conversation and I know that you will too. As always guys, appreciate you tuning in. If you have any questions or feedback for us, send an email to podcast at exomountaingear.com or look for the link in the show description that says leave a message. Also, it would help us tremendously if you share the show with a friend or leave a rating or review in whatever podcast app that you are using. We don't do any advertisements or anything like that on this show, and the only way that it grows is by your support and sharing and reviewing the show. So thank you for doing that. Right now, though, let's go ahead and dive into this conversation with Brandon from Thermarest. Well, Brandon, thanks for joining me today, man. I'm really excited to chat. Yeah, I I mean, it's what I've done for a number of years. So I, once you get me going, you might have to tell me to be quiet. <laughs> well, I appreciate it, man. I'm, I was telling you, I'm one of these guys, like I've been using sleeping pads for years and years and years, but I don't, you know, from a like product engineering design perspective, I don't know that I know 50% of what goes into them. I just have a fairly informed user and customer that's tried a lot. Um, before we dive into sleeping pads, let's start with kind of an intro background for who you are, just to give listeners some context. All right. Um, Brandon Bowers, I went to school in university of Washington and right out, out of college started working at cascade designs here in, um, manufacturing engineering, and then got interested in product development and slid over to a product development role for Thermarest around 2008, 2009. Um, since then I've been, um, in different levels of product development for Thermarest and then getting to help out with other, our other brands as well, occasionally. Um, and that's where you find me today. Awesome. If guys aren't familiar with like Cascade Designs, Thermarest is one of the brands kind of under the Cascade Designs umbrella, but can you kind of mention some of the others just so listeners may like, oh, I didn't know that. Sure. So Cascade Designs started Thermarest originally in 1972, and then we bought and merged with a couple other brands. Um, Sealine, Pack Towel are two prominent products, and then and Pack Towel. I don't think I mentioned Pack Towel. Uh, and then in 2002, we merged with MSR. So those are the the prominent. Um, prominent brands, MSR, Thermarest, Pack Towel, Seal Line. And did I miss one? <laughs> <laughs> so you said Thermarest started in 72? Yeah. Yeah. And actually MSR separately started, I believe in 1969. So they both started in a, in a certain era. 
So what did a what did a nineteen seventy two Thermarest product look like? Obviously, I know you weren't around at that time, but like I'm just trying to picture what is this? Uh, let's see. We revisited that color at our fortieth anniversary, and I love that color. Our guy came up with it at the time in marketing: school bus yellow, <laughs> school bus yellow pad. I believe it. I don't know if we only had one size at that point, like 72 inches long by 20 inches wide, um, a stamped logo, like seriously a rubber stamp logo with a small little brass valve. And brass uh, valve. I mean, it, interesting. Yeah. So it was an inflatable though. I was curious. Was it even in it, you know, an air pad at that point? Absolutely. Yep. Okay. So that was the whole um, aha moment. In the early seventies, a uh, couple guy, couple people from the climbing world here in the Northwest, all sort of knew each other from climbing, and I believe all of them worked at Boeing in one capacity or another. One guy had his job; the other two lost their job, and said they were thinking of starting a company. and And uh, it was during a weeding moment when a guy leaned down <laughs> on his little knee cushion and watched it inflate itself you know he saw it sort of recover and he could hear it pulling air back and it was just like a open cell closed cell combo yeah and um and that led the team to making some prototypes that started with a 1970s sandwich press um <laughs> and, wow yeah so um i mean it was pretty scrappy and yeah, that was the whole thing. So, so that was the very first concept of an air style pad. Like Thermarest started yeah. this game. Yeah, a self-inflating mattress that. And the the thing that I think is funny is, is in any technology, I think most people who in product development or just love gear, it, it's fun to see something that that really it changes the whole game. And that's what that was. Cause they were using either rolled up closed cell mattresses or, or air mattresses, which have no insulation. So mm-hmm. this, this gave you like extra warmth. It packed down extra small. It was extra comfortable. Like it, it, it moved the bar in like all of the areas you wanted to move it. <laughs> so yeah. Um, it's, that doesn't happen very often. Usually it's like an incremental leap, but that was just a quantum leap. So let's jump ahead to talk about what, how I'm curious to start here, like the construction, the elements that comprise a Thermarest sleeping pad. I mean, to me, it's like, okay, you have essentially call it an upper and a lower. You have these two materials sandwiched together some sort of valve to let air in and out and control that. I know, you know, there's different types of internal structures, which some users may not fully understand in terms of like different baffles and structure and all that. So again, like I've, I've never taken apart a sleeping pad. (laughs) I know the marketing, right. About like, Oh, baffle structure and this and that and what have you. But can you just like, what does a an end user of a sleeping pad like myself may not fully understand like what goes into making one, how they're constructed, et cetera? I, I would say you you start it with the the current options, which are closed cell, which means it it 
the cellular structure of the foam does not let air in or out. So you can't pop them, but they're also bulky and usually not as comfortable. You have your self-inflate, which is has some amount of foam in the in the um as the core which helps itself inflate and offers you know a certain amount of warmth and then you have air mattresses which can vary greatly from just having baffles inside the air mattress to keep it um not being just a big balloon but to keep it flat um and then varying degrees of that core that add warmth to it um so so when you're considering mattresses, you know, and there's a, there's a lot of, if you go digging, you can find um, this online, but um, you're really balancing those key things out is what's the bulk that you're having to deal with. Do you have plenty of space for like closed cell? What effort are you willing to put into it as far as are you willing to inflate it yourself? Uh, and then how they sleep and the, the sleeping part i would say the only way you learn is you experiment um i <laughs> it and as you might know being a an avid outdoorsman people who get into the outdoors get you know it's it's this little subculture and my exposure to it was pretty early on but what i'm getting at is the exper the experience is the final key thing for mm -hmm. how a product is going to sleep and how a structure feels um, as far as closed cell um, self-inflate or an air pad, because how it, how you sleep on it, of course, is the final thing. Are you warm enough? Are you comfortable? Um, but what I was getting at is um, I had, I knew a guy who was big into skiing. He skied every month. He would climb up some mountain and ski. He hadn't missed a month for four years here in the Northwest. <laughs> and um, during a snowstorm, you know, he's like, hey, I'm going to try my sleep system out. And he went out and slept in the snowstorm, you know, right outside our perfectly good house. That's what the outdoors <laughs> people do. <laughs> Been there, done that. Yeah. Yeah. So we wake up and see a big lump, you know, on the basketball court. And there he was. I'm like, oh, there's Bill. <laughs> <laughs> Today, kind of want to focus on the the air pads, the backpacking friendly stuff, right? And I will yeah, say okay. for people who haven't used some of the other more I'll call luxurious options for like a base camp or what have you, it is a very different experience. Oh um, yeah. But when we get into the air pads, like you know, for Thermarest, it's something in the Neo Airline. Talk a bit about that baffle again, um, and how yeah. that structure both adds structure to be repetitive to the pad, but also what that does not only for the integrity of the pad itself, but in terms of like comfort and then where you can maybe talk about what are some of the different ideas or designs, you know, maybe in other air pads from other companies, you don't have to name names, but I just want to have a better understanding of like, not all air pads are the same and how they're constructed perhaps differently and what effects that has. I'll start by saying air mattresses all need some sort of structure in them or they'll just be a big round tube. So um, when you build an air mattress, um, if you become a geek like me, yeah, you're always curious about how 
how the structure and the product was made. So very simply, um, there's vertical structure pads, and that's just a bond between the top and bottom in multiple spaces to keep it, hold it together. And um, it's simple, but it doesn't block any air whatsoever. So the cold air from the bottom travels right up to the top and they're not very insulative. And so that's what was around, you know, in the seventies. Um, so when we got into um, air mattresses in the, in the 2009 was our first product, we wanted to have a structure of course that held the product together. You have to have that, but we also wanted to block block convection um, uh, and keep that cold air down on the bottom and the warm air closer to your body. So we experimented with different structures and came up with this Neo air, what we call a tricore matrix. So it um, it's a sort of has a structural layer, two structural layers that make triangles going back and forth. And then a, a center film in the middle that completely blocks air from traveling. At least, it, you know, it can go all the way out around the side of you um, on the bolsters, the edge of the of the mattress. But it basically inhibits airflow. And I would say that idea was really novel when it came out um, because it it took an air a simple air mattress that and built in structure that made it warmer. Um, now that that concept wasn't new to the world, but being able to make an air mattress to sleep on, it really um, changed that game. Um, so that's that's the essence of why Neo Air was unique, and we still continue to use it. I would say something that benefited us, not necessarily we didn't plan it, but that same structure has allowed us to also build in more layers because of the original approach to it. Um, and so that's allowed us to take that technology and insulation and increase insulation. Um, so over the years, you know, that that's where our company stands. That's still the height of our technology is this tricore structure and being able to tweak it to make it either lighter or more comfortable, um, super, super light, which might not be as warm, or we add a little bit of layers to it, gets a little heavier, but becomes really high R value. Um, and in a nutshell, that is what the competition is also doing. You're looking at different, different ways to create layers to block that cold air getting to your body is that about what you were looking for <laughs> yeah it's helpful because i don't know that some folks uh understand that those layers and air separation and call it like migration potentially of cold air right um, actually is is what's happening internally it's what we're trying to do is keep that cold air from kind of traveling or migrating up. And I do want to talk a bit more about insulation, but from a technical perspective, but when people hear that and they think, okay, there's a separation, um, does that mean that call it the top and bottom quote unquote chambers for lack of better terms, when you're inflating or truly separate, like you're filling up different areas of the pad 
or is there any like open crossover of air? Does that make sense? Air mattresses are exactly as you say. There's crossover points, um, but they're minimized as much as possible. Um, anecdotally, there have been a few dual chamber pads um, out there that do what you say, where you actually have you have to inflate multiple chambers as a way to separate air. Um, but there you don't you really don't need them to be absolutely separated um, because when you inflate this mattress and lay on it, you get the, you get sort of what we call a closed loop system. All the air in there is like it's not coming and going. It's it's in there until you wake up and take your mattress down. Or, or deflate it. So you don't have to have absolute air separation. The air kind of settles in and stays put to a degree. Um, hence why you don't need to fully separate it. It, it does travel in there. You have little convection currents and that's what we're trying to minimize. Hopefully that makes sense. Yeah. No, it was helpful. Um, yeah. And, and I think when we talk about, understanding how this is working the best the the best way i think a, a universal approach would be thinking about wall construction so most people realize oh if i go inside a structure and it has a wall uh, it blocks like wind for instance and then the more beast the more robust that wall is like in a house um the more the more r value it you get from it, which is just a, a level of insulation, a, a measure of insulation. So that is where Cascade started. This would have been mid mid nineties. They took the um, ASTM standard for measuring wall R value. <laughs> so you build, you basically the test is you build your section of wall that you want to use in a in a home, and put a cold cold on one side, hot heat on the other, and measure how much heat it takes to keep the hot side hot. And that is how they measure. You know, it's more complicated than that. But um, that was what we started with when we're trying to figure out and measure structures. We're like, oh, let's, let's, it's like a wall. Um, and that's, I think, something most people can relate to. Like if you stuff your wall with fiberglass, it becomes more and more insulative. Yeah, I do want to come back to our value standards testing, etc. But to like to start to talk about the warmth of a pad and you know the insulation. The so for something like these lightweight backpacking air pads and they're quote unquote insulated. I would assume that a lot of end users, at least what I would say our audience would be, yeah, would be familiar with insulation from a clothing perspective. And so they're thinking of something like down or synthetic fiber or what have you. Right. But but they may not know like what is the a quote unquote insulated air pad? What is that insulation? And I think you said the word film before. Oh yeah. But can you talk about how and you even said like hey we have lighter pads that are not going to be as warm but we can change the structure to create more warmth uh you know and that comes with some extent of a weight penalty so i just want to talk about like what is the insulation and in a quote-unquote insulated pad 
in, in our neo air there's really two forms of insulation number one we we talked about it with the blocking creating cells so that the air the cold air can't travel near so easily up to the warm body and vice versa that's number one and that would just be a physical or a convection um, path the second one would be the reflective film and um, so these are non-bulky um, so they're, they're not down or synthetic and uh, the way it works is a, a heated body we'll call it and that means like anything that's hot um, and then a cold body they physics tells us they just want to equalize and there's multiple ways that they equalize one is that convection conduction and then the third is radiative they actually send out um, heat in the form of radiation and um, to share back and forth and by putting a reflective layer in there we call it a radiant barrier um, it reflects your radiant heat back to you and um, that was it we weren't the first to think of this in the outdoors it had been tried in in relative with some success in some like blankets um interestingly enough thermarest tried some version of this 15 years prior to the neo air coming out um but it wasn't fully understood and the technology to benefit from it wasn't really there yet um but in the neo air we added right in the middle this radiative barrier, which again has no bulk, but in that closed loop system in your air mattress, it, it adds a certain level of insulation just by bouncing your heat back to you. And that would be um, one of the keys to NeoAir that it was giving you insulation without bulk. Um, and then as we've learned, we can add more layers in there and bounce even more of that radiant heat back to you. Um, I do want to say you can still stuff your air mattress with synthetic materials or down and have a certain R value with that as well, but then you are adding some level of bulk. So the warmth of a pad, the rating is called an R value. Yep. If I'm not mistaken, it used to be that there were uh, claimed or marketed R values that weren't standardized. So there wasn't a, hey, everyone's on the same page. This is how we come up with R values. Like we're all going to follow this process, this standard. Right. Yeah, There exactly. There was yeah. not a standard. <laughs> and that was the case like not all that long ago. And it was certainly the case in my own uh, experience as a customer, call it, because I would like have two pads that were claiming to be pretty similar in R value. And just as an end user, is like, there's no way that these have the same R value, just right. not possible. This one slept way colder, et cetera. Right. So, what is the standard and kind of like, I guess, is it fully broadly adopted in the industry at this point? And like, how did everyone kind of get on the same page? And then oh, if yeah. you can, with that standard, talk about 
again, kind of like your wall analogy, but talk about how that testing is actually structured a little bit. I got to be involved somewhat early on this. Um, and Thermarest started using an R value test that we developed ourselves. I mentioned that earlier. Um, it was not standard, as you had said. Um, there was a number of approaches out there in the world. I will say some brands really put effort into it like we were to to understand it and have us have their at least internally a standard and other brands whether they what their intent was we're not sure but we felt it was overstating um how warm a product would sleep um so in 2015 2016 i got involved or thermarest got involved with an ASTM working group led by MEC, which is a um, sort of like REI up in Canada, Mountain Equipment Co-op. And this working group did a great job of pulling in multiple brand spokespeople involved in Thermarest or in mattress development. And it took a good three years to... Um, do exactly what you said. Hey, we need a standard. It was driven by the co-ops who who sort of were the best to lead it because they they had their own shop brands, but they weren't trying to muscle anybody out. They're like, we just want to give our customers the best consistent information. And we don't have that now. So over the process of three years, um, Multiple ideas were shared and internal standards were shared amongst different brands. And uh, it was a lot of work to finally agree on the way we would test test mattresses and, and a, a standard formed through that, but it did take a lot of work. So the way it works, it was two things. It was, how are we going to do it? And then we need to develop a piece of equipment to do it. Um, and agree on what that equipment looks like. Um, pretty succinctly, it looks very similar to what we were talking about um, with the original Thermarest standard. It's a, a heated hot plate and a cold plate, and that that is your bread, and then you put the contents, your sleeping mattress, in between that, and uh, there's a certain amount of force or gravity force that sandwiches them together, and uh, and then you measure it. Now, there's a lot of detail in there, like how exact we had to agree on how hot the hot plate was, how cold the cold plate was, what the lab settings were, the ambient air, and then time, how long you did your test, um, conditioning mattresses because that can affect it. Um, but yeah, so it. It was a lot of work. It was really cool to see, though, how a standard comes to be and how a bunch of competing people can work together um, for the greater good. And that's that's my take on it. <laughs> yeah. So, how does a an R value number essentially get generated out of this testing? Does that make oh, sense? Good. Like, what yeah. what determines the fact that it's four and a half versus seven, for example? There's a, a fair amount of 
good electronics. I think a good a, a person who understands electronics, it's probably not that complicated. Um, but what we're looking at is we're looking at the steady state of these hot and cold plates. And then in measuring the heat, sort of the heat consumption of the hot plate as compared to when the when they're connected by this mattress, um, if it's a really not a great insulator, the hot plate is going to all of a sudden start consuming more power to stay hot. And essentially, it's really just a measurement of electricity and power. Um, and then that's transformed into our value with some clever calculations. Um, if, if So our value does have a unit measure. And um, I've gotten away from the technical side enough that I can't tell you what it exactly is um, <laughs> off top of my head. Yeah, no problem. It would probably be way above our heads if you did. <laughs> but essentially what you're measuring is a material or a, or a assembly's ability to slow down heat transfer from mm -hmm. one side to the other. Yeah, like a measure of resistance almost. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. So we know that eventually, you know, some of that cold affects that warm section. Um, but yeah, you can have R values, I want to say, into the 10s and 20s, which is like very little. There's very little heat transfer going on. Is it pretty widely adopted, the standard? So like if I, like just off the top of my head, if I think of air mattresses, like Thermarest, um, Exped, Nemo, Sea uh, Summits, Big Agnes, like those are just brands off the top of my head that I know make them. And I don't know if you know, but like, is it prevalent for all of the above to like be yes. on the standard right now? Yes. And again, when you look at a f like base kind of a free market for the most part, uh, the way that works is you have the, these larger customers representing. Uh, so they're our customer, REI and MEC representing the user customer. Um, and they, they really worked to say, we're going to adopt this, this ASTM method and reporting and Hey, all you, all you big brands, all the brands you just mentioned in 2020 is when it started 2020 you need to have a test or a r value number that was tested to this new standard and you know it's sort of on your honor but if you cheat on that like we have the ability to test it and if you're way off then we're going to call you on it mm -hmm. um so that's really the way it worked is is that working group gave everyone enough time and um and it also um, the testing equipment had to sort of, we needed enough testing equipment so that everyone could have access to it. Um, so yeah, it like launched in 2019, but then the 2020 product years when everything started carrying that new standard. Got it. I want to hear your take on like broad recommendations, considerations on our values. Like when people see a number to, for them to understand what that means, but just to provide context okay um, i will often like if i hear from someone who's a listener of the podcast and they're you know want a sleeping pad and i know like okay we're not just i know this isn't just guy uh, someone who's summer backpacking but they're doing like a backpack hunt 
often is going to be usually September, October. It could be anywhere from like August through January, though. And I don't, maybe I don't know necessarily where they're going, but call it the Western Rocky Mountains most often. Okay. Uh, and again, let's say September, October. So I'm going, okay, like you're earlier in the season, quote unquote hunting season, like say September, you know, could be mild, but you can still get below freezing easily oh, or yeah. commonly um or like okay you're going november like montana like man it's gonna be cold right but as a general <laughs> rule i'll tell people like don't even consider a pad with an r value under four and that's just a if i don't have a lot of context that's just something i'll tell someone i i think that's a good good advice especially if I presume you're talking with people who are less experienced with with this sort of thing, with going out and um, potentially, yeah, yeah. So I I like that for our value. That's what where we that's a, essentially our break is calling it a winter pad is above four. Okay, um, and that this is the tricky thing, right? The sleeping pad is a part of your sleep system, and um, yeah, I think that's I think that's a good call out. If you have, you know, if anyone asks what R value pad they should they should buy, I definitely like to use that as an as a jump a launch into well, how are you going to travel? Are you mm-hmm. in a tent? Are you out of a tent? Are you cowboy camping? Um, are do you sleep in sleep clothes? Are you bringing an extra pair of clothes? Um, and then, of course, like where are you going? You're going to be up at thousand feet potentially. Um, are you going to be on snow potentially? Um, and it's because it all affects that. But of course, having a super solid four to five R value is always a good idea when you're not possibly sure what could happen. You threw out some variables there that are <laughs> just great to consider. Like you said, not only when and where, uh, which is where I tend to focus, but you're talking about, you know, clothing, sleep clothing, you know, often for a guy like in our audience who's doing a hunt, it's it's not like they're essentially wearing what they wore all day, um, mm. potentially just taking layers off, potentially sleeping in just a base layer, but they don't have like necessarily extra clothing to change into. Okay. Um, obviously seasonality, things like that, but like, just, I guess this maybe would be helpful. Yeah. I'm just going to pull two products from your line. Um, and again, I'm, we're trying to talk broader concepts too than just your products, but yeah, illustrative, right? Take the Neo air X lights, uh, the newer NXT. I see the R value is four and a half, and then you can go to the Neo air X therm NXT. And it goes from four and a half now up to 7.3. Right, right. So clearly much warmer. Um, what would be some scenarios where guys would consider needing that warmth? Would you just say that's like a pure winter pad on snow, et cetera? Or is there like, I guess, provide some of the nuance between choosing between those two as an example? Yeah, this is a great question. And it's a question, believe it or not, that still like we were talking about this last week on when does a when does an X-therm become too warm? Um I would say anytime that you're going below freezing or below, 
I've not heard anyone say, boy, I wish I hadn't had my X therm. It was too much. <laughs> um, so I think because of all of these other factors that you can regulate with shedding clothes, adding clothes, um, and et cetera. Um, the X therm I would say is freezing would be when you know, you're, when you know, Hey, it's going to be below freezing. Uh, I, I would say people are finding that the X therm is not overdoing it. Um, now your X light can be, it does work fine at below freezing, of course, at a four or five. Um, however, if you're, if you could find yourself in uh, a, a snap change of weather, I think that X therm is, is um, well worth it for someone who's hunting. And um, I imagine the thrill of the hunt could bring you into situations you weren't expecting. So um, that X light, I would say is really, I don't want to underestimate it, that it's not a, a decent winter pad, but when you get into um, needing to sleep on snow, um, as you know, like, yeah, I'm definitely going to be on snow. Then I would just say, get jump for the X therm, the added R value is worth it. And the only time you start thinking that maybe it's too much of a pad. I mean, that's in a definite summer situation. Um, but in the fall, yeah, people aren't complaining about having that added R value much. Okay. So if it's, let's say not sleeping on snow is likely, but it is likely to be at or below freezing for lows, the X therm is still essentially versatile enough. Yes. Yes. And this, this again is where that experiment comes in. Um, fortunately, um, well, I have access right to these products and I've learned sort of what, what I want and need. And I've slept on, um, I've slept in below freezing on our Uber lights, which in a quilt, which is, um, a 2.3, right. But I'm using sleep clothes and I wasn't hunting. I was like going up for a night. So I'm like, well, if I'm cold, I'll survive the night and I'm with a bunch of people. So, um, mm -hmm. but in a, in a hunting scenario, I always think a little bit more unexpected. I'm, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned quilt too. So I'm curious how often that comes up. Uh, Cause we, we get it. We've, we've talked about quilts versus sleeping bags, our own experience. We've had in-depth podcasts with people who make both and talked about differences, pros and cons, et cetera. Um, in general, and whether this is based on what you see with customers or your own personal experience, do you find that quilts require a warmer pad to be quote unquote as warm? Is that a consideration that you would make or encourage maybe people to think like, oh, if you're using a quilt, lean towards a warmer pad or no? Oh, that's, that's a tricky question. Just because I don't want to mislead people. Um how about this? I would say uh, folks that have jumped up to a quilt in that it sort of sleep adventure, I would say they're, they're probably more likely to have a warmer pad in general because they understand that the quilt is open-ended um, and you can it can come off and you can find yourself with a breeze. Um, I think that's a fair statement myself. I don't feel I'm qualified enough to speak to that. Um, namely because I haven't used a, 
uh, sleeping bag in a number of years. I don't like the constriction of them. And um, yeah, so I don't have a good comparison. Yeah, no worries. That's, that's still good. I want to talk a little bit about comfort in terms of these air pads, these lighter pads. And, you know, I think some people have maybe misconceptions about how comfortable they can be, or maybe they've used a certain one that wasn't comfortable, but don't understand that necessarily they can be comfortable. Um, and feel free to take this in any direction in terms of <laughs> the construction of the pad, the size, the thickness, but like another example of that. And we've said this on the podcast numerous times, and uh, this is just from our own experiences, like finding quote unquote, your preferred air pressure. Cause Oh yeah. yeah. You know, like I used to just assume years ago, like, Oh, you blow up a sleeping pad, meaning you fill it up, stop taking air, you go to sleep. And it was like, Oh, actually I want for me personally to, to run way less pressure than okay. quote yeah. unquote full. Right. Um, so again, I know there's a lot to throw at you, but I just want to talk about comfort of a sleeping pad a bit. Again, whether that's the construction, the size, or things like "quote unquote" tips and tricks or what have you. Wow. Well, I like. I'm glad you brought that up. I think um, even even experts or um, experienced people sleeping on a mattress can forget that. Oh, hey, I can adjust this. Um, such as the air pressure. Definitely air pressure gives any mattress a different feel, you know, if it's overinflated, underinflated, et cetera. So um, I, I would say always do that with a mattress that you're trying out. Don't just test it at one pressure. Um, second thing, unfortunately, what we lay on, you know, initially we might like and then when you wake up in the morning, you might go, oh, that was too soft or that was too firm. So again, that's where that sleep experience just, there's nothing like just putting a bunch of nights in and learning what you like. Um, I will say the structures of different products out there, our product, the Tricorse um, structure has what we believe to be the best um, best support as far as it's um, when it is at a lower pressure um, like it's it doesn't it doesn't it's not prone to shifting around so much because we have uh, many welds it's a weld every other every 1.9 inches um, and they're across the across the whole length the whole width of the pad so so structure does matter as well of an air mattress and how it was built and how much, how much welds are in there and what the material is inside of it. For instance, the material can be uh, stretchy a little bit, so it can give you um, a little bit of a bounce or a cushion. Um, all of those things do matter. And the best way to try it is just to uh, experiment with it. Um, one, one more thing I wanted to mention is if, if one of your, folks listening to this is, well, I want to try another pad, but do I have to go buy one? Definitely find someone, anyone who's excited about their mattress usually would let you try it, right? So definitely do gear sharing with, with your buddies and see if all the rage that they're screaming about is true. Say, so, yeah, let me try your mattress if you love it so much. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> It's not everyone can go buy, you know, four $200 mattresses and it's sort of a pain. So 
what is new in the NXT? I because uh, this honestly seeing the announcement of that, like I've used previous products um, from Thermarest, and then I saw like, oh, there's an update, there's new, etc. And part of that is what spurred like, oh, I should reach out to those guys, like see if we can chat. Um, so I've seen you know some of the quote unquote literature marketing around what's new, but I would love just from your take, like what's new and updated in the NXT. All right. Thank you. And setting me up with a perfect platform. <laughs> okay. I'm genuinely curious. <laughs> so the the tricore matrix in that original Thermarest is still pretty much there. What we've done is we've refined um, the layers and where they're positioned um, for the for the the radiant barrier layers. So we've added an extra layer. Um, I'm sorry for the X light. We've added two layers. So the center, the center layer now has three, um, three radiant barriers, which sort of stack up on top of each other and gave us that added warmth. Um, and that would be the key thing for the X light. So we've got, we had a better new strategy for how to add in those radiant barriers and, um, uh, to reduce noise. Some of these radiant barriers can be quite crinkly. And that was something that we wanted to address. The fact that it's quieter, is that just a change in materials period? Or was that have anything to do with like the construction or the application, I should say? Little of all of that. Uh, the material itself is not really new, but the how thin it was and um, how many, like I said, how many layers and where it was positioned, all of those were considered um, in this new product and they're a little different. Okay. Uh, we did have one layer in the old X X light. So in that regard, the radiant barrier is still about the same position, I guess. Now the X therm, the X therm benefited very similarly from that um, with the three layers in the center as well. So that would be the that would be the key thing um, for the X light and the X therm. There was there's more behind the scenes work, of course, that that we're doing that i it's kind of boring but and i'm probably best if i don't share that but um that's that's in a nutshell the the key difference it quieted it up added our value what would you say to someone who has had a previous poor experience with an air mattress uh you know one of those leaks issues very uncomfortable cold hard nights on the ground because of that in general would you just say that pads are more durable these days would you say pretty similar you just kind of need to take some care caution because knock on wood i've been i've had extremely reliable performance and durability um from thermos pads as well as a few others really and that's over a lot a lot of nights you know this is the that challenging question i if it were me I, i've bought into the air mattresses and i would say the market has as well it we we were teetering on there's still and, and you bring it up the argument for what if it goes flat um is very real but i would say that the majority of the can users out there have 
accepted that. Now, my personal strategy on that is it, it really depends on how willing you are to put up with, with a potentially cold night. Um, and then what risk level are you at? So if you have a hunter, your, your group's going out and they know they're going to, they're like a day in We're it's going to take us a day to get to where we want to do our hunt. And so there's a certain level of risk there and you know, it could be cold. I would say then it's, it really is a judgment on, on balancing that risk. I, the way most people are doing it is to carry a closed cell pad, like a Z-Lite for our brand. Um, so it gives you that, pr- that protection. If you do have a puncture that you're not um, just right on the ground. And then the other thing with those closed cell pads is they're highly versatile. Uh, it's rarely do people bring a Z-Lite and say, oh, I wish I hadn't brought that because they there's so many um, so many other benefits from, uh, you know, if you're on snow, giving you a non-snow surface real quick that you can cover with it. Um, I would say that would be the number one strategy to benefiting from the air pad and how small it is. And also the, uh, the thickness, by the way, um, you can't carry a, a self-inflate pad that's, that's that weight for that level of uh, thickness and cushion. But it definitely is a real problem that you have to consider. And uh, I would say the majority of folks who are still worried about that carry a closed cell pad. Is that, again, I know this is like somewhat speculation for lack of better terms, but I mean, I'm just always relatively careful to, often I'll put it this way, often on on a hunting trip, because we're not backpacking, we're not using established campsites, we're often not even near trails or anything of the sort. So. I mean, I've slept in terrible quote unquote campsites or spots Mm -hmm. and just take effort to um, clear that a little bit of rocks, dirt, debris, et cetera, like any potential puncture puncture hazard. Sometimes I'm using a floorless shelter, sometimes I'm not. So there's all these variables, but I think just that extra little bit of like care before I set up and then how I treat my pad from really the moment I pull it out of my pack to the time that it's in my shelter and then same for when I'm breaking down camp, you know, I'm just cognizant of not setting it here, not accidentally stepping on it, not doing those things. Like I think just because of that is part of the reason I've had such good luck, right? Like just understanding that I don't want to say it's a fragile thing, but it's clearly a a lightweight air filled chamber that can puncture. And I think as long as you treat it accordingly, um, they can be very reliable. Yeah, certainly. And I do think that it's one of those things, like you said, they, they are fragile. Um, you said they're kind of fragile and be like, yeah, they are to a degree. <laughs> yeah. I, I think it it's sort of like a phone. Like you, you I'm sure there's people out there who've never broken their phone. And then there's people who've broken many phones just because they're klutzy or they just take less care. And, um, I think it comes back down to that of gaining that experience. And for you, you've proven that you can, you're, you're taking care of your air mattress. It doesn't, you don't have to look at too many reviews to find where people aren't taking care of their mattress and they don't even <laughs> understand it, you know? 
So while I agree with you, I would say the level, you know, what taking care of gear means to everybody is different. And, uh, and then just learning what thing I, I have to tell you a story. That's really funny. Yeah, please do. Um, we, this was like five, <laughs> 10 years ago, but we had some new product out there that we wanted to get field tested. And, uh, one of the sales guys at the time had, he's like, I'm going for a seven day, uh, trip. I'm taking my 13 year old and this will be great. And, um, it was, but he told me a really good story of, they had to, they had to fix one and it was an X light style pad right in the middle of the trip. He said, we're up on a Ridge. It was really windy. And as we're tearing down, I'm like, we can't, I told my son, like the mattresses will blow away. So go put that rock on this. And he's like, I literally watched him grab a shard of like 20 pound granite and just <laughs> drop it. <laughs> I just watched this like slow-mo, right? Yeah. No, he's like, it punctured through the top and the bottom. Wow. And he, you know, no, we're not all 13 year olds, but you're like, Oh yeah. I yeah. So clearly the 13 year old did not get it. And he learned a lesson. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's Love funny. That story. He's just like, that isn't the way to do that, son. Right. Yeah. I mean, even mentioning top and bottom, I, I don't know if most people would know or not, but I know that like for you guys anyway, the, the bottom is more, it's a heavier denier. It's a tougher material than the top. So even potentially something like if you do set it out, try to keep the bottom side on the bottom because no. it's tougher. Now that that's true for the X therm. The X light is using the same fabric top. And oh, bottom. is it? Yes, okay. it is. And that gotcha. would be one other thing that with that uh, more extreme cold weather pad, the X light that is a, our strategy is make that okay. bottom a little more durable. Okay. Does that have to do with the warmth or what's the reason that that is the case on the X therm? The X therm tradition goes way back to 2012. So I wasn't as heavily involved in the, in the development of that one. Mm -hmm. um, but it, it comes down to that, that level of risk and an extreme that we wanted a, a pad to support. So we wanted something that was that you could take at, you know, like zero degree weather and be mm -hmm. confident of it. So that, that comes where the heavier fabric. Got it. Well, I'm, I'm glad that came up because now it's another potential deciding factor for guys who may have been considering between the two. Maybe they want that extra protection. Right. Right. Is there anything in this conversation as we wrap it up that common questions, et cetera, that we kind of haven't covered that, you know, somebody maybe in the market or just from an understanding kind of these air mattresses may ask or want to know that I didn't throw at you already. I think you did a really good job of it. And um, I, I would say don't underestimate understanding our value and, and take, take a little bit of time to understand and experiment with your sleep and um, and when you get cold and why and trying to learn from it. Um, I think your people you're selling to, I, I am not a hunter myself, but I grew up around it a, a bit. It seems to me they're going to be a little more adventurous and willing to push that limit. So I, I think that is the best, our best way to learn. Um, but, but think it, think about it. And um, a little bit of research goes a long way in this, I think. Um, and 
and uh, it it will pay off so that you understand how to position yourself in a way to uh, to not be caught freezing your butt off in the mountains. So. Well, that's a wrap on this one, guys. I hope that this conversation gave you some helpful information to either use your current sleeping pad more effectively or made you more informed about what to look for if you are in the market for a new sleeping pad. As always, we appreciate your support and any suggestions you have for us or any questions you have for the show. You can send an email to podcast at exomountaingear.com to reach out to us directly or look for that link in the show description that says leave us a message and you can ask an audio message that we will answer on a future Monday Minute episode. Finally, if you're enjoying the show, we would appreciate your support by just sharing the show with a friend or leaving a rating or review where you can. And if you haven't yet, hit subscribe or follow in your podcast app so that you receive future episodes automatically. And we'll talk to you soon.